May 21st, John 11, verse 55, through chapter 12, verse 19. It was now almost time for the celebration of Passover, and many people from the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the cleansing ceremony before the Passover began. They wanted to see Jesus, and as they talked in the temple, they asked each other, What do you think? Will he come for the Passover? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly announced that anyone seeing Jesus must report him immediately so they could arrest him. Six days before the Passover ceremonies began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a twelve-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who would betray him, said, That perfume was worth a small fortune. It should have been sold, and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief who was in charge of the disciples' funds, and he often took some for his own use. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did it in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but I will not be here with you much longer. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A huge crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Israel. Look, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't realize at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered that these scriptures had come true before their eyes. Those in the crowd who had seen Jesus call Lazarus back to life were telling others about it. That was the main reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this mighty miracle. Then the Pharisees said to each other, We've lost. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Today we're reading in Psalm 118, verses 1 through 18. The Jewish people sing Psalms 113 to 118 at Passover, so this is one of the songs that Jesus sang before he went to the garden to pray. If you knew you were going to be executed unjustly, would you be able to sing praises to the Lord? Well, this is also a messianic psalm that we'll be reading here. The crowds shouted verses uh, 25 through 26 as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And Jesus quoted verses 22 and 23 in his debate with the religious leaders. But it's also a song of praise, thanking God for deliverance from a difficult situation. The name of the Lord and the hand of the Lord 
can give you victory when you need it. When you're hemmed in by the enemy, cry out to God, and He will put you into a, a broad place with no restriction. He will open the gates for you and give you some new freedom. So claim verse 24 for every day that you live. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. Israel sang those words when they were delivered from the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. They will sing those words again when God gathers them from the nations and restores them to their land. And it's a song you may sing today You know, by I'm faith. convinced of this. We do not preach salvation in the day in which we live. We preach forgiveness. You want to be forgiven? Shed a few tears. Get your name in the book of life. Get your name on the waiting list for a crown. You get a ticket to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And a few other benefits. It's my conviction, dear pastor, that we live in a day of spiritual ignorance. Do you know what would do good if, if and I'm not suggesting, I'll, I'll suggest it, you don't have to do it. But you know, if you ask somebody, are you saved? You say yes. If, if you say to them, are you regenerated? They say, well, I, uh, let me check with the pastor. Are you adopted? Are you reconciled? Are you forgiven? Are you pardoned? Are you justified? They're all areas, they're all spokes in the same wheel, but they all mean something different. Redemption is a magnificent thing. The life of God in the soul of man. Let me tell you this, listen, with all the power I have, Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good. He came into the world to make dead men live. Not to make bad men good, to make dead men live. Christianity is the only religion in the world, whether you're a thousand or two thousand, it is the only religion in the world where a man's God comes and lives inside of him. You can give up the lousy smoking and rotten women and drinking and not be regenerate. You see, we're awfully easy on the sin problem. You see, you're one of God's little children and, and if you commit adultery, it doesn't matter too, too much. But if your neighbor does, you'll go to hellfire because he didn't have to be a member of a church and say he was saved. We need to change our tone about sin. You read 1 John and see what John says about it. He says that he, the man that is born of God, doth N-O-T, he does not commit sin. What's the difference between a man committing an adultery if he's a Christian, or stealing if he's a Christian, or lying if he's a Christian, uh, to the sin and adultery and lying of a, of a man in the street? There is no difference. There is a difference. Not in the deed, not how diabolically it is. The difference is this, that when a Christian does it, when he's been caught in temptation and does it, he flees to Christ for mercy. He goes with a broken heart. You see, the thing that got to the heart of God with David was this. He says, I've got a broken and a contrite heart. Did you ever have a broken heart? It's worse than a broken limb. It's worse than a broken business deal. It's worse than a broken friendship, a broken heart. My sin, my sin, my sin put him on the tree. And I hate it, I loathe it. I've broken lives, I've hurt my nation, but most of all I've hurt you and my heart is broken over this sin. And a broken and a contrite heart, thou desirest not sacrifice. He would have filled the whole valley with sacrifices, but all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could not give one guilty conscience peace or wash away one stain. But Christ the heavenly Lamb takes all our sins away. 
a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Is it amazing that if you sinned for sixty years and you've broken every law in the Decalogue and committed every sin a man could commit, that one drop of the precious blood of Jesus Christ will purge you whiter than snow? You have may have a record as foul as any man that ever lived, but such is the gospel of redeeming grace. That if you come with humility and you come with brokenness and contrition, you can be cleansed. You know, a lot of us have been wanting the Holy Spirit without God cleaning the mess up. There's a little cancer down in one area, a grudge you had for years. And you thought like you'd still kind of rub it over and then the Holy Ghost would come in because you said you were sorry. Well, I'm t- telling you, he won't. You may have got a lift in a meeting and two days after you were flat on your face or on your back, you were stumped. And if you couldn't get to a meeting every night, you can't live in victory. Well, you'd never make it in a concentration camp. 